We want to talk a little bit about hospitality this morning. There's this special thing that happens when families or friends eat together. In those times when you're invited into another person's home to share a meal, a connection forms. A friendship is deepened. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and it's hard to quantify. It's hard to really explain. There's just something very special about that act of eating together. And that's, that's at the core of hospitality. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning is a passage all about hospitality, an example par excellence of hospitality in the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at how to, how to, or asking the question, how can we have Abraham's eyes as we see the people around us, as we try to meet their needs, and as we try to be hospitable? And that's the single sentence sermon summary this morning. It's this. If we can look at people with Abraham's eyes, we will both be the giver and receiver of God's incredible blessing. So I'm going to go through the story here. It's in Genesis 18. It'll be on the screen behind me, or you can uh, listen along or read along with me as I go. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, but I'm going to be stopping and, and, and explaining parts of it as we go. As I studied for this this week, it became just incredibly apparent to me how easy it is to misunderstand so many of the things or just miss so many of the things that are going on in this passage. There's important pieces or tidbits all the way through, so we're going to kind of stop as we go and explain them. So starting, Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Now this is the narrator talking, you could say. This is not Abraham knowing that the person who shows up is the Lord. We know that because it's important to how we read the story, but Abraham doesn't yet. And it says that it's in the heat of the day. That means it's sometime between 12 and 3 o'clock, the hottest part of the day. What do you think you're doing between 12 and 3 o'clock in the Middle East during the hottest part of the day. Nothing. You are resting. Abraham is 100 years old here. He is probably taking a little bit of a nap. Verse 2. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. This is a hundred-year-old man hurrying in the heat of the day because he sees three people who are traveling at the worst time of day. His immediate desire is to be hospitable. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. That my Lord is probably not him addressing God. It's a state, uh, a, a name of respect that he would give to a stranger. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. So basically he's saying, you three, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be walking around at this time of day. Please come here and rest. I'm going to bring some water. You can drink and you can wash your feet. You can sit in the shade of the tree, exactly what a weary traveler would want 
at this time in this place. Now, there's three of these visitors, and some people have wondered, are these the three persons of the Trinity? I I don't think so. But Moses is about to speak to one of them who he identifies as the Lord. And I do believe that that is Jesus Christ before the incarnation. We call that the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God in a body speaking to Abraham. And so... They say, after he offers all this hospitality, very well, they answer, do as you say. Now, we're talking about Abraham as an example of hospitality, and how incredible is he at this? He's 100 years old. It's the heat of the day. He's just woken from a nap. He asks them these things, and then it says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Do you hear it? Do you hear all the hurrying? He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now what's he just made for them? I didn't know what a sia was, but I looked it up, and each sia is about two gallons of flour. So he has Sarah make make bread from six gallons of flour. Now, I have never kneaded bread from flour, but I'm, I'm informed that six gallons of flour would make quite a bit of bread for three people to eat. But he doesn't just give them bread. He kills a calf, right? You can read this and think of a bull. He kills an animal to provide meat for a meal. He says, I'm going to get you a little something to eat. And then he prepares a feast. There's milk and curds as well. This is is a big deal. Abraham has hurried and put himself out. He sacrificed to be able to be hospitable, to be a blessing to these three men who have come upon him who he doesn't know. That's incredible. And then, as they eat, he stands back and just lets them eat. He doesn't join them. Now, that would be pretty awkward today. Let me encourage you that if you invite someone into your home, please don't stand behind them and watch them as they eat. That that is not the way to get a good reputation as a person who puts on a good dinner. But at the time, it was very respectful. He was saying very clearly that this meal is about You, I'm here to serve you. Abraham sees them, and what he sees are three opportunities for blessing. Picking up verse 9. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. And here's where I think things start to change. You see, Sarah's name was Sarai until the last story with Abraham in Genesis Chapter 17, God tells him he's going to change her name to Sarah. This is when God tells Abraham for the first time that she is going to be pregnant and they are going to have a son. And Abraham can't believe it. He falls down and he laughs and he thinks to himself, really, could this happen when I'm so old? And God tells him, I'm going to change Sarai's name to Sarah. And here the strangers know that. And I think Abraham realizes 
that the people that are visiting him are not normal travelers. He says, they're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now there's no question. They are repeating to him the promise that God had made him. Abraham realizes that the man who's the leader of these three is the Lord, who says, your 90-year-old wife is going to have a son, When I come back in a year, he'll already be here. And now this this very odd part of the story comes. Because when one of them says, I'll surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to, to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's an interesting difference in time. This is how important it was to them. I know some 90-year-olds. I don't think any of them would call getting pregnant at this point pleasure. right? I don't think that would be exciting to most people that I know at this point. But for them, it was so important, so much a part of their desires that this was an answer to a prayer. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So here's what I think is going on because it sounds like Sarah's in trouble and I don't think she is. Because her laughing indicates that she hasn't heard this before. And it was in the last chapter that God tells Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. And I think the understanding would be that this is a promise that God has made to you and your wife. You need to tell her about it. It seems that she's not heard it before. Sarah's not in trouble here. Abraham is. Right? So so God says to Abraham, why is she laughing? To bring out. That fact that Abraham's not done what he was supposed to do. I think that's what's happening here. But Sarah's afraid. Her husband's in trouble with the Lord. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But God said, yes, you did laugh. There's another piece of this that's important. is that It says Sarah's behind him inside the tent. And these are quiet. These are things that are happening to herself. There's No way for him to know unless he is God in a body. There's no doubt anymore. God himself has visited them. He has promised them a son. Abraham was in trouble for not relaying the promise, but it's not something that's going to go on from here. And God has made a promise of an incredible blessing. So this is just such a rich an interesting story. What I want to do is I want to go through and I want to pull out the pieces about hospitality that are present to us here. And there's three things I think we can learn about what hospitality is for a Christian because a lot of us, we hear a command in Scripture and Scripture says again and again that we're to be hospitable. We're going to look at some of those places in a moment. And for some of us, it's enough just to hear the command, be hospitable, and we say, okay, 
But it's not a bad thing to ask why. What's the reason God calls us to hospitality? And I think that there's something we can glean about that from Scripture and then see the incredible blessing and sacrifice that Abraham's actions are. So the first thing I think we can learn about hospitality from Scripture is this, that hospitality reminds us that our stuff isn't ours. Our stuff isn't ours. We're all stewards of God's grace in several ways. A steward is someone who takes care of someone else's property. And everything Christians have, including ourselves, our very lives, is God's. They belong to God. We're the conduit through which God shows his love to people. The things we have, whether money or food or time or material blessings, all of those are given to us by God and for a purpose. Some of it is to be a blessing to us, that's true, but every part of it is also to enable us to be a blessing to others. My things aren't mine, they're his. Your things aren't yours, they're his. And when he puts needs in front of us, it's important that we respond by asking, what can we share? We don't want to get caught up in asking, how little do we have to give, right? Can I get out of volunteering my time? Is anyone going to be upset with me if I don't take part? When that plate comes by, instead of saying, what's the smallest amount that I can give and not have to feel bad about it later? That attitude, that heart attitude is contrary to what it means to be a steward of God's blessings. Instead, we need to ask, how can I be a blessing? How can I share God's rich blessing of me with others? So hospitality reminds us that our stuff isn't ours. And 1 Peter 4 shows this perfectly. I want to look at three verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the opportunity to be hospitable is an opportunity to share what God has blessed you with with others. Some of that's your time. I know that your time is important, and I know that you don't have as much of it as you would like. I don't think I know anyone that says, you know, I'm just not busy enough, right? That time is precious, but it is something God has given us, and we are called to look and be intentional about how we use it and to do that in a way that blesses others, to let ourselves and our time be a blessing. Same is true for everything involved with hospitality. Our home is a blessing to others. Our food, our company, all those things are one of the ways that God blesses others through us. Hospitality reminds us that our stuff isn't ours. Excuse me for a moment. My printer printed blank pages in the middle of everything. I was really hoping I wasn't going to find my last page wasn't there. That would have been a bad day. The second thing I think we can learn here is this. Hospitality is an occasion for spiritual formation. It's an occasion for spiritual formation. 
When we practice putting someone else before ourselves, even sacrificing something for the sake of giving it to someone else, something within us changes. The spirit does a work within us, and a chip is broken off of that selfish core that's inside of all of us. All of us have a self that wants to be on the throne of our heart, that wants to be first, and we all have experiences with that differently. It pulls against us in different ways, but every time we put someone else first, the Spirit causes a change in us, and that becomes easier the next time, and then easier the next time. And sometimes this kind of hospitality happens when we're inviting friends and family over. That's the thing that we're challenging you to do with our phase one of our hospitality practice together, to have someone over for dinner that you know that's dear, that's been there before, that's comfortable. But sometimes this kind of hospitality happens when we're making a sacrifice on behalf of someone who's in need, someone who won't be able to pay us back, who won't be able to invite us over in return. I want you to take a look at Isaiah chapter 58. You can turn there if you'd like to. I'm going to read the first five verses here. But then uh, verses 6 and 7 will be on the screen behind me. Isaiah 58. I'm going to read the first five verses. And the rest will be on the screen behind me. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? In other words, God, we give you a day of the week. Isn't that enough? We could put it into our own words this way. God, we come to church on Sunday. Isn't that what you need from us? Where is our blessing? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Starting in verse 5, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, what is asked of us isn't just to give of ourselves, to make a sacrifice for those that can return the favor, for those that are comfortable, but to give to those who are in need. And that looks different for every person. It might be that there are people in your neighborhood, in your community, who are in need of help. And hospitality doesn't just mean you come in for dinner. It might mean joining with them in their circumstances, finding a way 
to be a blessing in the midst of hardship, in the midst of, of, of hunger or home insecurity. It might mean that you have to be really inconvenienced to be a blessing to the people around you. And if we're going to follow God, if we're going to call ourselves His sons and daughters, if we're going to take on the name Christian, then we need to be willing to let ourselves be inconvenienced in order to be a blessing to the people around us. Hospitality is an occasion for spiritual formation because when we do that, when we really make a sacrifice for the sake of others, change happens within us. And the third, hospitality is an opportunity to be blessed by God. There's a passage at the end of the book of Hebrews that I, I think must be referring to our story this morning. In chapter 13, the author is, is writing up the letter and he sets this, this, he's tying up the letter, I'm sorry. And he gives this set of instructions about how to live as Christians. And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, I think the author is referring to our story, but, but I think there's more that he's saying here, too. He's saying that when we show hospitality, we're opening a pathway for God to bless us. And he does that in a couple of ways. We're blessed by being stretched. Compassion can be really hard at the beginning. But once you get into it, once you take the uncomfortable step into meeting a need and loving a person, even when you're uncomfortable, it becomes easier. Your threshold stretches. And compassion comes easier the next time. There's a blessing in helping us to grow in compassion, but also in forming and strengthening relationships. The best way to build a relationship is on a bedrock of knowledge that you truly care about the other one. And there is no better way to show a true desire to love and to care than by showing hospitality. Inviting someone into your home. That vulnerable place where you and your family spend your time together. That private place that doesn't always seem like it's supposed to be for anyone but you. That act of bringing someone in is a strong base to build a relationship on. And then to give time, to give help, to give food, to give love and affection to another person who you've brought into your home. That is the kind of thing that friendships are built by, that relationships are strengthened by. Do you want to get to know your neighbors? This is a great way to do that. How to, how to break that barrier of we live next to each other, so we're kind of forced to say hello when we pass each other in the street, but we've never really spent time. This is a great way to do that. That friend that you've had and things have gotten kind of cold with over time, the friendship has just gone stale. This is a great way to breathe life into it again. You strengthen relationships with hospitality. And that is a blessing to us as well. And I think this, this, this passage in Hebrews 13, I think there's another reminder here. This idea that people have been hospitable to angels without knowing it. I think the reminder is that every single occasion that we're hospitable to someone 
means that we are opening our homes and sharing from our blessings with someone who bears the image of God. Human beings are God's favorite creation. And hospitality offers us the chance to celebrate the splendid work of God that is each and every human being. It's a way of saying to God, I love you, by saying to a person, I love you. Now, Abraham is not a perfect man, right? You don't have to read very much of the stories about Abraham to to realize that he's not a perfect man. He makes a lot of mistakes. I mentioned in Sunday school, not the least of which is pretending that his wife is actually his sister so he won't get in trouble with powerful people that they encounter. This is not a perfect person. But there's something remarkable about him in this story. When he sees three strangers come upon him, he doesn't see three burdens. He doesn't see three needs that he just would rather not have to deal with. He doesn't see three inconveniences in the heat of the day. He doesn't even see three opportunities for himself to get something. He's the kind of man that encounters three strangers at an inconvenient time and sees them as an opportunity to extend the blessings of God. Is that how you see people? I asked myself that question this week, and it hurt a little bit. Do you see people as being God's image bearers, as being opportunities to extend blessing? Do you see people as as people who you have the chance to love, to worship God by serving? Do you have Abraham's eyes? And if not... If your eyes aren't Abraham's, if that's not how you see the people around you, let me make a challenge to you this morning. First, pray and ask God to give you new eyes to see the people around you as blessings and opportunities for you to be a blessing. And two, make yourself uncomfortable by jumping into it. You may not feel ready. Do it anyway. You might be nervous. Do it anyway. Watch and see what happens when you extend the hand of hospitality, whether inviting someone to a restaurant or a meal in your home, to spend time to be blessed by one another, to see God build a friendship between you, even if it's hard. That's my challenge to you today. Do it anyway. And what I believe will happen is that your eyes will begin to change. And the way that you see the people around you will begin to change. And you'll develop, by the power of the Holy Spirit, eyes like Abraham. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings, Lord. You are wonderful. You are amazing. And we praise you. We pray that you would give us eyes to see the people around us the way that you do, as your beloved sons and daughters, your children, your creations. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve, give us courage when we need it, empower us to be the blessings that you want us to be. 
We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.